Well, if you would take your Bible this morning and turn to the book of Acts, Acts chapter number two. And as you're turning there, if you're physically able to do so, if you would stand for the reading of God's holy word, Acts chapter number two, we're going to be looking at a lot of this chapter as we go through it. We're not going to be spending a lot of time as we go through it, but we are going to go through a bunch of the verses in this chapter. It is a lengthy chapter, uh, but we're only going to read verses one through four to start with, and we'll look at a few others as we go through the message. But Acts chapter number two and verse number one, the Bible says this, and when the day of Pentecost was come, was fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind. No, this was not Oklahoma. <laughs> it wasn't tornado season. Um, it was of a mighty rushing wind and it filled all the house where they were sitting. And there appeared unto them cloven tongues like as of a fire. And it sat upon each of them. And verse 4 says, And they were all filled with the Holy Ghost, and began to speak with other tongues, as the Spirit gave them utterance. Lord, we're thankful for the service thus far. Thank you for the good song that we just heard, for the many congregational songs we're able to sing together. Lord, now as we turn our attention to your word, and, and uh, Lord, to the first church, I pray, Lord, that you would help us to have an open heart and a readiness to hear, readiness to receive your word today. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. I think you may be seated. Well, as we all know, today marks our 75th anniversary as a church. It was in April of 1947 that a small, humble church began in a little town called Moore, Oklahoma. Today, as we take some time to reflect on the wonderful history God has given to us, I thought it would be good to look at what life looked like way back in 1947. In 1947, we were two years removed from World War II. World War II, remember, ended in 1945, so it had just been two years past when this church started. Harry S. Truman was the president of the United States in 1947. The average cost of a new home, a new house in 1947 was $6,600. The average wages per year in 1947 were $2,850 a year. The cost of a gallon of gas was 15 cents in 1947. It's not quite that much now. <laughs> it's a little more than that. Average cost of a new car in 1947 was $1,300. A loaf of bread in 1947 cost 13 cents. A United States postage stamp in 1947 cost only three pennies. A television in 1947 cost $445, which if you were to put that out through inflation, today would be equivalent to about um, $4,027 for a TV. And back in that day, it was a 12-inch 
black and white TV. And it was not a flat screen. <laughs> uh, now you can buy a TV nowadays for $445, but it's uh, gonna be a little bit like that. It's gonna look a little different. On a computer back in 1947, this blew my mind, was $500,000, half a million dollars. And if you adjust for inflation, in our day, it would be equal to about $4.5 million for a computer. And the computer, I wish I had the time to uh, put, the, put it on the screen, but it's an entire wall. And you and I have computers in our pockets and purses that are far more powerful than that one ever was. It was in 1947 also that the CIA was established. 1947, Joseph Stalin was in power in the Soviet Union. And in 1947, Truman's famous speech outlining the Truman Doctrine was given this year to mark the beginning of the Cold War that would go on to last four different decades. It was in 1947 that the United Nations voted in favor for the creation of an independent Jewish state of Israel. And they would go on to declare independence the following year on May 14, 1948. Chuck Yeager, a United States Air Force captain and World War II veteran, becomes the first person to break the sound barrier on October 14, 1947. And that was for you, Seth. The transistor was invented in 1947, and it was in this year also that Walter Morrison invented the Frisbee. Also in 1947, the New York Yankees beat the Brooklyn Dodgers in Game 7 of the first ever televised World Series. In 1947, Jackie Robinson became the first African-American player in a major league baseball team, which was the Brooklyn Dodgers. There were some notable people that were born in 1947, including Hillary Rodham Clinton. Just waiting for the sounds that that name <laughs> brings. Tom Clancy, Steve Forbes, Elton John, David Letterman, Arnold Schwarzenegger, and O.J. Simpson, among others, were born in 1947. But there was something else that was born in 1947. This church was born in 1947. You see, 1947 was quite a year in world history and was quite a year in our church's history as well. You see, it was in this year, 1947, 75 years ago, that a godly Christian widow lady who had a burden and desire for a Bible-believing church and more donated some land just west of our current location where the Moore Police Department is today. Soon afterwards, an army barrack was moved onto our property and the first services were held on April 20th, 1947, and it was then that Moore Bible Church was established under the leadership of Pastor Herbert Lane. Since then, this church has gone through two name changes. We went from Moore Bible Church to Suburban Baptist Church in 1967, and then we went from Suburban Baptist Church to what it is now, Cornerstone Baptist Church, in 2014. In these years, our church has had 
12 pastors come and go. And now the current pastor is lucky number 13. Thank you. Thank you. Since our beginning there at 124 East Main Street, that was our first address, we've moved properties to our current location, and by God's grace, we were able to build the two buildings that now sit on our property, this auditorium and the Fellowship Hall just adjacent to it. In 2014 and 2015, we were able to remodel and refresh our auditorium and added a baptistry, which is right behind me, all completely without debt. Right now, we have zero debt to the praise and glory of God. Not a lot of churches can say that, that have facilities like ours. Now, I know there's churches that have bigger and greater facilities than ours, but hey, God's given us some good stuff, and we're debt-free. Over this last three quarters of a century, countless souls have been saved, people have been baptized, families have been helped, missionaries have been supported, songs have been sung, messages have been preached, a church has been started, lessons have been taught, decisions have been made, offerings have been given, and lives have been touched all to the praise and glory of our great and faithful God. As I mentioned earlier, no doubt there have been several difficult times throughout our history. And through it all, God has been faithful and seen us through. And here we stand 75 years later upon the faithfulness and goodness of God as well as the faithfulness of believers who have come before and sacrificed and served and gave so that we could be here today. It wasn't but just a few months ago that a previous pastor's wife uh, Mrs. McCracken went home to heaven. As I walked through the uh, funeral line at the end of the funeral, we all you know, went by and, and saw her one last time. And then uh, Brother McCracken, Brother Dave McCracken, her, her son, was there. And he preached the service. And I told him in that moment, I said, thank you for your, your, your parents' sacrifice. I am standing on their shoulders right now. The sacrifice and the, the time and the energy and the effort that they gave, we're all beneficiaries of that. And, and, and he's, he, they're not the only ones. All the other uh, 10, uh, 11 pastors that uh, I didn't mention, uh, we, we are all benefiting because of their service and sacrifice. As I consider that all that God has done in our, in our midst over these past 75 years, and of course, I haven't even been alive 75 years. And, and, and certainly, I've only, I've only been a part of this church family for uh, three and a half officially years. Um, it's coming up on four years since I was here for the first time back in uh, May of 2018. And so I, I, don't, I don't pretend to uh, know everything there is to know about the history of this church, but, but from what my mind can grasp, I, all I can say is I can c concur with the psalmist who said this in Psalm 126 and verse 3, The Lord hath done great things for us, whereof we are glad. And, and, and 
earlier in the, in the Psalms, the psalmist said, this is the Lord's doing and it is marvelous in our eyes. Yeah, it's, it's good to go back and remember all that God did in these past 75 years as a church. It's good to go back to the very beginning to see how it all began. And I, and I rejoice in all that God has done. But this morning, I want to go a little farther back, though, and look at the very first church, the church at Jerusalem. You see, there's a principle of Bible study called first mention. And as we go back and, and look at the first church, we can see some things that, that we as a church would be wise to be reminded of as we look not just to the past, but now on our 75th anniversary, looking a little bit to the future as well. And so this morning here in Acts chapter number two, I want to take some time to, uh, in the next few minutes here, to examine and, and, and look at this first church and uh, learn some things and be reminded about some things as we uh, consider our own church. And so this morning, let's look, number one, here at the beginning of the first church, the beginning of the first church. In the passage we read at the very beginning of the message, Acts chapter 2, verses 1 through 4, we find the Holy Spirit coming upon those believers in that upper room. And it was a memory that those who were there, I'm sure, would never forget in vivid detail. They would remember that moment. I mean, consider that. Uh, verse 2. There came a sound from heaven as of rushing mighty wind, and, and it filled the house where they were, they were sitting. And there appeared unto them cloven tongues like as of fire, and it sat upon each of them. Can you ever forget a moment like that if that was you in that room? No. This was a special moment. This was the beginning of the first church. Now, going back a little bit before even that, I want to mention this, that Jesus promised and instituted the church and, and, uh, and, and promised that the church would take place. In Matthew chapter 16, verse number 18, Jesus said, I say also unto thee, thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. So as Jesus promises this to Peter and the other disciples there, he's not saying, okay, Peter, upon you I'm going to build this church. That's not what he's saying. And he's also not saying that, hey, upon the confession that you just made that I am the Christ, that upon that confession I'm going to build my church. No, even, even more uh, firm than that is he, I'm sure, pointed to himself and said, hey, I am the Christ, and upon this rock I'm going to build my church. One day he was going to do that. And Jesus said, or here's what it says about what he did for the church in Ephesians 5.25. Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it. He gave his life for the church. He shed his own blood for the church. As the Apostle Paul was speaking to the Ephesian elders, he encouraged them in Acts chapter 20 and verse 28 to feed the church of God, which he hath purchased with his own blood. Ephesians 2.20, special verse for our church with the current name that we have. It says this, And we are built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone. See, he's the foundation of the church. 
and he's the head of the church. And he is the owner of this church. And in this church, he deserves to be preeminent. Not just predominant, but preeminent. So that, Jesus promised all what happened, then he died on the cross uh, and gave his life for the church. Then here in Acts chapter number 2, we see that the Holy Spirit now comes and indwells and empowers the church. And look, we, we here as New Testament believers in 2022, we almost take for granted the fact that the Holy Spirit indwells believers. I mean, it's a given, right? We know this, that when someone believes on Christ, repents and believes and, and trusts Christ as their Savior, in that moment, instantaneously, the Holy Spirit comes and indwells that individual. That's, that's a remarkable thought. And then, and then their body becomes the temple of the Holy Spirit. We kind of take that for granted, but it hasn't always been that way. You see, back before Acts chapter number 2, that didn't happen. Someone would place their faith in Christ, but the Holy Spirit did not come and dwell until after Acts chapter number 2. And see, this is the beginning of the church, when the Holy Spirit comes and indwells. You see, this is when and how the church began. And, and it's good for us to go back or be reminded so that we as a church uh, can now stay faithful to how it was when it, when it first started. That, that we need to be empowered by the Holy Spirit. Not just so focused on the program and the structure and all those things. But to depend upon the Holy Spirit who came to indwell and empower us. And so the beginning of the first church, good to take note of that. But then number two, I want us to see, secondly here, the beliefs of the first church. What were the core beliefs of the first church? Well, ultimately, they believed the word of God that Peter spoke in Acts chapter number two. In verse number 41, if you want to just fast forward over there, it says, Then they that gladly received his word... Then they that gladly received his word. What, were, what was his word? What did they receive? What did they believe? What were their core beliefs? Well, they believed the sermon that Peter preached. Now, Peter, we get, you know, again, as you go through the Gospels, he's extremely unstable. But, but when you get to the book of Acts, for the most part, He's a pretty good, solid individual who ends up being faithful and humble through it all. But uh, I want to take a moment, and I don't, we don't have time. Uh, I, I'm preaching, not Peter here, and so I, I want to make sure that I have time to preach, and, and so I want to just kind of skim through some of his sermon, okay? Uh, so if you pick it up in verse number 14 and see what word they gladly received. Verse number 14 says, But Peter, standing up with the eleven, lifted up his voice and said unto them, Ye men of Judea and all the ye that dwell at Jerusalem, be this known unto you and hearken to my words. These are not drunken as ye suppose, seeing as it is the third hour of the day. I mean, it was only nine o'clock in the morning. They, they had not drunken yet. They, they, they couldn't have been drunk. But verse uh, um, verse. 
Verse 16 says, but this is that which was spoken by the prophet Joel. <coughs> and then he goes and, and, um, and quotes a passage. And so his text for his sermon was uh, the book of Joel. I think Joel chapter number 2. And so he goes and says, I uh, shall so come to pass in the last day, saith God, I will pour out my spirit of my spirit upon all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. And I will, on my, and on my servants and on my handmaidens, I will pour out in those days of my spirit, and they shall prophesy. So I'll just sum up his sermon uh, in this way, that basically he uses this passage from the book of Joel saying that there's going to come a time when God would send the Holy Spirit and when men will be able to call upon the name of the Lord and then they'll be able to be saved. But then in, in uh, verse number 22, he kind of ends that text and he says, okay, I'm going to give you the application here. In verse 22, he says, ye men of Israel, hear these words, Jesus of Nazareth, a man approved of God among you by miracles and wonders and signs, which God did by him in the midst of you, as ye yourselves also know. And so he turns the, their, everybody's attention to Jesus. And so he highlights the miraculous life of Christ. And then he reminds them of the crucifixion. Let's see here in verse number 23, it says, Him being delivered by the determinate counsel and foreknowledge of God, ye have taken and by wicked hands have crucified and slain him. And then in verse 24, he drops the bomb. Okay, they all knew about Jesus. They all had heard about his miraculous works. They all knew he died on the cross. Of course, Peter says, Whom uh, ye have taken and by wicked hands have crucified and slain. Then verse 24, he says, whom God hath raised up, having loosed the pains of death because it was not possible that he should be holden of it. So he drops the bomb of the truth of the resurrection. Of course, last Sunday was Resurrection Sunday, and we celebrate the fact that Jesus is alive. And uh, of course, we know that in our minds, but, but these people, this was a new thing. And there was, I'm sure, controversy about what had happened with the body of Christ. There was a rumor going around that uh, someone stole his body, and there was another rumor that he actually was alive. And there was, uh, I'm sure, a controversy on which one to believe. And so Peter here, as he preaches from the book of Joel, uh, goes into and, and delivers this message regarding Christ and what he, who he was and what he did. And in verse number 32, he repeats uh, this doctrine of the resurrection just in case they didn't catch it the first time. He says in verse 31, I'll back up there, he says, He seeing this before spake of the resurrection of Christ, that his soul was not left in hell, neither his flesh did see corruption. This Jesus hath God raised up, whereof we are all witnesses. So he with the other 11 were standing there in a group, and Peter's the spokesman and saying, and we're all witnesses. We've all seen him. We know. And so uh, look here in, uh, in verse number 37 as he gets down to the end of his message. This is, uh, this is what they said. When they, verse 37, now when they heard this, they were pricked in their heart. Have you ever been pricked in your heart? I think all of us who are saved can remember a time when the Lord pricked us in our heart. 
said unto Peter and to the rest of the apostles, Men and brethren, what shall we do? And Peter said unto them, Repent, and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus for the remission of sins, and ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. And then verse 41, Then they that gladly received his word were baptized. They believed the message that Jesus died, was buried, and then he rose again. They believed the gospel. This is what the first church believed and stood upon. But you know what? They didn't just stop with that. They ended up growing in knowledge. Look in verse number 42. As we consider the beliefs of the first church, yes, they believe the gospel, and yes, that's important, the most important thing. But verse 42 says, And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine. You see, the gospel was really only the beginning of their spiritual journey. Now, yes, they were saved. They had uh, become uh, part of God's family, but, but that, that wasn't the end. Let's keep growing. It, it, it drives me crazy, and, and maybe you too, uh, when someone categorizes doctrine in, in the Bible as an essential doctrine and a non-essential doctrine. It kind of it irks me when I hear that. Now, now, I know why people say that. Something like, you know, I, I, I'm not even thinking right now, but they'll, they'll say, well, this isn't essential for salvation. I understand that. but Because here's, here's my point. Uh, if it's in the Bible, if it's in God's word, it's essential. <laughs> now, now, it may not be essential for salvation, but it's essential. It, it, it's important. It's necessary. We don't just throw it away because it's not, well, the death, burial, and resurrection. So as we consider the beliefs of the first church, we need to recognize that they first believed the gospel the death, burial, and glorious resurrection of Christ. But then they continued in learning the doctrine of the Word of God. In Cornerstone Baptist Church, as we look to the future, may we do the same. Yes, be convinced of the gospel. And if there's someone here today who's not saved and you've never uh, believed on Christ, recognizing the fact that he lived a perfect and sinless life and that he died on the cross for you, for your sin, then he was buried, and then he rose again the third day. If, if, you, if, if, if you never believed on him, believe the gospel. Those of us who have, we can't just stop with, hey, I believe the gospel. I'm good. Let's keep growing. Let's keep learning. May we ever be growing in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Not so that we can get a big spiritual head and go around like, yeah, I know a lot of things. No, because knowledge puffeth up. No, we're to use that knowledge to be a blessing and to impact others and to teach others. And so we see the belief of the first church. But then I want us to look very quickly here, number three, at the behavior of the first church. As my daughter says, there are, Several bonus points under this. <laughs> um, what, how did the first church behave? What were the things that they did? And it's important for us to look through this because the things that they focused in, the behavior that they have, 
ought to be the behavior that we have. I, I realize we're living in a different time, but I don't think that God gave us Acts chapter 2 just as a historical account. I believe God gave us Acts chapter 2, especially verses 42 down through verse 47, as not just a historical account, but as a pattern of behavior that a local New Testament church should have. Okay, what were they? What was the behavior of the first church? Well, they were focused on doctrine in verse 42, and we've already alert, alert, alluded to that. Verse 42, they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine. Steadfastly, like they made this a big priority. And, and I can just imagine that those new believers that were brand new babes in Christ, that they were just so hungry for the truth, like, Teach me more. I want to know more. I want to grow. I want to, I want to know what you know. And, and they just had a, they had an earnest desire to grow. Is that, is that me? Is that you? Are we willing to steadfastly be in doctrine? Ephesians chapter 4, verse 14 says that hey, we henceforth be no more children. Again, at, at some point, we need to grow up. No, I don't want to grow up. I'm a Toys R Us kid. Okay, I know. Does Toys R Us still exist? I think it does. No, it doesn't. Oh, you just ruined my childhood. <laughs> I'm just kidding. But, you know, as a Christian, I understand that, you know, there, there's, a, there's a blessing of being immature in the faith because you just are so excited and you have the zeal. Uh, but at some point, we've got to grow and not be children where we are gullible. And that's what Paul's saying here in Ephesians chapter 4. He says that we henceforth be no more children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine. By the slight of men and cunning craftiness, whereby they lie in wait to deceive, but speaking the truth in love. We're to be grounded in the truth. The only way to do that is to continue steadfastly in doctrine. A.W. Tozer said this, and this is a little lengthy, but uh, if you can just tune in and try to catch this, I think it'll be an encouragement and a help and help illustrate and, and, and drive home the point that I'm trying to make here. He said this, we have gotten accustomed to the blurred puffs of gray fog that pass for doctrine in churches and expect nothing better. From, from, from some previously impeachable or unimpeachable sources are now coming vague statements consisting of a milky admixture of scripture, science, and hu human sentiment that is true to none of its ingredients because each one works to cancel the other out. Little by little, Christians these days are being brainwashed. One evidence is that increasing numbers of them are becoming ashamed to be found unequivocally on the side of truth. They say they believe, but their beliefs have been so deluded as to be impossible of clear definition. Moral power has always accompanied definite beliefs. Great saints have always been dogmatic. We need a return to a gentle dogmaticism that smiles while it stands stubborn 
and firm on the word of God that lives and abides forever. That's a good, again, it's, it's a little hard to catch all of it, but the point is uh, we need to be grounded in the truth. And uh, look, I know there's a lot of podcasts out there, and I know that there's a lot of books out there, and I know that you go to the Christian bookstore and it's filled to the brim with all kinds of things. We need to understand and learn the doctrine of the Word of God. This is our foundation. Baptist, be Bible-only authority for faith and practice. We need to know the truth. And these people, their behavior was they focused on doctrine. Well, what else did they focus on? Well, secondly, I see that they were focused on fellowship. They continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship. The word steadfastly is not just connected to doctrine, but it's also in fellowship. Now, most of these people, no doubt, probably didn't really know each other outside of the church. And this is how most of us are as well here at Cornerstone Baptist Church. Most of us don't work together or live together. Some do. I happen to live with a couple people in the room here. I imagine you do too, but look, we're not one big like community fellowship living quarters. That'd be a little awkward, to be honest, right? Uh, most of us don't work together or live together, and, and, and most of us wouldn't know each other outside of Cornerstone Baptist Church. So they got to know one another through fellowship. You know, if we're going to really get to know one another, we're going to have to do that through fellowship as well. Notice it said they continued steadfastly in fellowship. This didn't happen by accident. They were intentional about it. They were deliberate about it. They made it a priority in their lives. They had this, I mean, you, you think about it. They just come from all these different backgrounds, and now they're united over uh, around this crazy truth that Jesus died and is resurrected. And, and, and this decision to follow him and, and to be baptized was a decision to perhaps leave family members, to leave a community, to leave what they knew and what they were comfortable with. So they needed this fellowship. We, we need fellowship here. We do. And so I want to encourage you to build relationships with the people who come to Cornerstone Baptist Church. We have our services at 5 o'clock. Now, tonight's going to be an exception. Uh, our service, the, the, the time tonight's going to be a little lengthy, so just heads up on that, because we have a meal and then a service, but... Um, but typically our evening services are at 5 o'clock. That's not only so that we can go home and watch the Dallas Stars game. Okay. Maybe that doesn't apply to anybody else but me. <laughs> You're like, I never have a desire to go watch the Dallas Stars after a Sunday night service. Okay. Well, whatever it is for you. Okay, we get out at 6.20, 6.30. There's still plenty of time to do this right here, to fellowship. Hey, 
I have never taken you guys out. Let's go to Brahms. That's a beautiful, wonderful place. I mean, since the Lord's Chicken's not open on Sunday. <laughs> we got to go to Brahms. That's kind of the second best. It's, it's, it's a little lower, but anyway. Or, or wherever. You get the idea. But intentionally going out with not just the same us four and no more but getting to know one another and fellowshipping and sharpening one another in the Lord. They focused on that. That was a behavior of theirs. What else? Prayer was also a behavior of theirs. 42, again, at the end of that verse, it says, and in prayers. This wasn't something that was just uh, briefly mentioned here. This is emphasized later in the book of Acts, Acts chapter 4, verse 31. When they had prayed, the place was shaken where they were assembled together. They were all filled with the Holy Ghost. And they spake the word of God with boldness. They prayed. <coughs> Acts 12 and verse number 5, when Peter was put into prison, says this, but prayer was made without ceasing of the church and the God for him. This church was a praying, praying church. Uh, J.B. Johnston in his book, The Prayer Meeting and Its History, said this, a congregation without a prayer meeting is essentially defective in its organization, and so must be limited in its efficiency. Richard Burr said, A church is never more like the New Testament church than when it is praying. Mr. Burr also said, A dynamic church must be built from the inside out, employing all four levels of prayer, the secret closet, the family altar, small group praying, and finally the congregational setting. Praying church. That was a behavior of the first church, and I hope and pray that it is a behavior of this church. <coughs> what else? They were, they had unity. That was a behavior. Verse number 44 it says, And all that believed were together and had all things common. There was a unity in this little church, little church. They had just added 3,000 souls to their membership. It was not a little church any longer. But it is interesting that it says, and all that believed were together and had all things common. I read this. There's two ways of being united. One is by being frozen together, and the other is by being melted together. What Christians need is to be united in brotherly love, and then they may expect to have great power. We're called to strive together for the faith of the gospel. It's very difficult to do that. There's division in the church. But there was unity. There was a, a, a sense of belonging. Unity. If, if you're here and... and you know, you're not, you're not a member of our church. You say, well, membership's not in the Bible. The word membership's not, but the principle is. And uh, we see this right even here. Uh, if, it, if the Lord's been poking your heart and saying, you need to join this church, I'd love to talk to you about that. This would be a great day to get that conversation started on Anniversary Sunday. Let's have you be a part of this church. Not just receiving all the benefits from the church, but being a part of it. Having 
being, being able to serve, being able to have some accountability and commitment. There was a unity in that church. And, and may, may God help this church to continue to be a united front as we strive together for the faith of the gospel. Unity. What else? Number five, got to move quick because we have dinner coming. I got to finish this message before five o'clock, you know. Generosity was another behavior of the early church, the first church. Generosity. Verse number 45 says this, and sold their possessions and goods and parted them to all men as every man had need. Now, <clears throat> I'm not advocating uh, this morning that we all go home and put our homes on the market and sell our homes and bring the proceeds to the church, although that is what happened in the book of Acts. That's, that's not necessarily what Luke, the Holy Spirit's trying to advocate for all of us. But I am advocating and encouraging us to have a generous spirit towards the needs of the church and those in it. These early believers were willing to sacrifice great their great possessions in order to be a blessing to others in the church. And tonight, as we look toward the future, we have an opportunity to be generous, to be sacrificial, like the early believers were here in the book of Acts. Paul Harvey reported that during the 1995 Thanksgiving season, a woman uh, called up the Butterball Turkey Company's hotline and asked whether it was advisable to cook a turkey that had been in her freezer for 23 years. <laughs> Customer service rep advised her that as long as the freezer had maintained a below zero temperature, it'd probably be okay. However, she was warned the turkey would be less than tasty. <laughs> the woman responded, oh, well, that's what we thought. We'll just donate it to the church. Sadly, this is a common attitude among churchgoers. Rather than give God our best, our offerings are subpar. Rather than making a genuine sacrifice, we offer our discardables. Rather than commit to service, we resist being inconvenienced. Why? Because leftovers are such humble things. We would not serve to we would not serve to a guest, and what we yet we serve them to our Lord, who deserves the very best. We give to Him. A leftover time, stray minutes here and there, leftover cash we give to him, such few coins as we can spare. We give our youth unto the world to hatred, lust, and strife. Then in declining years, we give to him the remnant of our life. God doesn't deserve our leftovers. He deserves our first. He gave his best as I prayed for the offering a little bit ago. He deserves our best. So a spirit of generosity. Then we have faithfulness, and I won't belabor this point, but in verse number 46, it says, and they continuing daily with one accord in the temple. Uh, this, uh, this word continue continues to show up here in this passage. We see it in verse number 42, they continued. And verse 46, they continuing daily with one accord. Uh, this idea of faithfulness, that they're going to stay at this thing. This isn't a fly-by-night situation. This isn't a, oh, it was just an emotional decision. No, they were committed, and they were faithful. And then we have, uh, next, we have gladness. Verse number 46, breaking bread from house to house, did eat their meat with gladness. There was a real joy there. 
Matthew Henry says it made them very pleasant and enlarged their hearts with holy joy. Why were these people so glad? I mean, many of them were perhaps treated poorly by their families because they became one of those weirdos. They became Christians and joined this new church. Many maybe even lost their jobs, and yet the Bible records there was a spirit of gladness in that church. What caused them to be so glad? Now, the Bible doesn't exactly give the answer, but we can speculate that it was because of what happened in their lives. The fact that Jesus had saved them from their sins and given them eternal life. I think the reason we're missing joy and gladness in our lives is because we have spiritual amnesia. We forget all that God has done for us. In Christ, we have been made a new creature. We have been passed from death into life and from darkness to life. They had gladness. Lastly here, they had praise. They were praising the Lord. Verse number 47, praising God. See, gladness and contentment led these believers to give praise to God for the many spiritual blessings in their lives. They were thankful and gave praise to God for the change that took place in their lives. They praised. And may Cornerstone Baptist Church have each one of these, and I won't take the time to review them. Uh, Hopefully you were listening. But... That was the behavior of the church. Uh, Very quickly, two more quick thoughts, and we'll wrap this up. I know time is getting away from me, but I will wrap this up very quickly. Number four, the boldness of the first church. Because of these behaviors that we just went through, this caused the church family to have a holy boldness. And uh, it's not mentioned in in, in Acts chapter number two, but uh, I'll just read a couple verses here in, in Acts chapter number four just to show you that they had some real boldness. In Acts chapter 4, in verse number 13, when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were unlearned and ignorant men, they marveled and took knowledge of them that they had been with Jesus. Verse 31 of that same chapter says, And when they had prayed, the place was shaken where they were assembled together, and they were all filled with the Holy Ghost, and they spake the word of God with, here's that word, boldness. Acts chapter number 5, in verse 29 as Peter is being instructed, hey, you, you don't preach in the name of Jesus or we're going to put you into prison. Verse 29, Peter and the other apostles answered and said, we ought to obey God rather than men. And this was the, the same guy who a few days, a few weeks before was warming himself by a fire and say, I don't know the man who denied the Lord. There was now a boldness because of the behavior. The book of Proverbs says, Proverbs 28.1, The wicked flee when no man pursueth, but the righteous are bold as a lion. Look, we're, gonna come into a, we're coming into a time where we're going to find out who's righteous or wicked. The wicked flee when no man pursueth, but the righteous are bold as a lion. This past week, my wife and I went to uh, the Tulsa Zoo. And got to see a lion. And he even like turned his head so he could get a good picture of it. <laughs> Lions are, are not afraid. They're the king of the jungle. Okay, here in, in this world and in this society, God expects us to be bold as a lion to get the gospel out and to stand for truth and to stand for what's right. How's that going to happen? Well, We need to depend upon the indwelling and empowering of the Holy Spirit. And we need to follow the behaviors that we just went through. Last thought here. 
the blessings of the first church. <clears throat> Going back to Acts chapter 2 and verse 47, says, Praising God, having favor with all the people, and the Lord added to the church daily such as should be saved. God did begin to greatly bless this first church. The Lord began to add to this church daily such as should be saved. The blessing of God continued in Acts chapter number 5 and verse 14 says, And believers were the more added to the Lord, multitudes, both of men and women. Acts 6.1 says, In those days when the number of the disciples were multiplied. In, 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 in verse 7 of that same chapter says, The word of God increased and the number of the disciples multiplied in Jerusalem greatly. In Acts chapter number 11 in Antioch. Here's what happened there. The hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number believed and turned unto the Lord. The blessing of God was no doubt upon this first church, but we need to remember that it was God who did the work. It was God who did the blessing. He did the addition. He did the multiplication. And I'm sure in some scenarios, he did the subtraction, there we go, as well. 1 Corinthians 3 and verse 6, I have planted. And, and we, we read about this subtraction in uh, Acts chapter 5 with Ananias and Sapphira, who lied to the Holy Ghost. 1 Corinthians 3 and verse 6, Paul said, I planted, Apollos watered, God gave the increase. So then neither is he that planteth anything, neither he uh, that watereth, but God that giveth the increase. You see, this way, he gets the glory. We can't go around and say, look at the great job we did as a church to build this thing up. No, because then we, we get the glory. And that's not what it's about. It's all about him. Isaiah 42, 8 says, I am the Lord. That, that is my name. And my glory will I not give to another. Neither praise to graven images. So, as we think of the blessings of God. Now, <clears throat> I definitely desire God's blessings upon Cornerstone Baptist Church. I do, with all my heart. I want our church to grow. And hear me out for just a couple more minutes, and I will be done. I want to minister to more people and see more souls saved in this community. I want to see our church increase our influence in this community for the glory of God. But we've got to remember that He is the one that adds to the church. It's God that giveth the increase. So I know there's a lot of like church growth books and podcasts and conferences and all the rest that I could dive into and give my time to. But that's not what the goal is. The goal is not on the result. The goal is on the right behavior and trusting God with the result. Brother Corey works at AT&T. I used to work at AT&T as well. And when I first was hired on, they were training me to be a retail sales consultant at RSC. And in that training, they said, okay, when someone walks in the door, you say, hi, uh, my name's Eric. What's your name? And, they're, and, then, and then you say, hey, Bob, uh, what can I do for you? And they go into their problem. Oh, I need to upgrade my phone, or I need help with my bill, or I... I need you to fix my voicemail. And then you're supposed to say right after that, I can help you with that. Those exact words, I can help you with that. So if you go to an AT&T and they don't say that, say, hey, I know you're supposed to say I can help you with that. 
Um, but uh, anyway, you're supposed to go through all this, and then and then you're supposed to offer all the different you know uh, things you're supposed to offer. And and they said during the training, don't worry about your numbers, worry about doing the right behavior. Well, that worked out pretty good until they stopped saying that and they said, start worrying about the numbers. <laughs> and he knows what I'm talking about. Um, yeah, forget that behavior thing. We need the numbers. <laughs> but, but here's the thing. More important than a, than a big company, as, as a church, we don't need to be worried about how big our church is. We need to be worried about, are we being obedient and faithful and following the right behaviors as a church? And then trusting the Lord to take care of the results as he sees fit. God may never allow us to build a new building. God may never allow us to expand and break down these walls. That's okay. It's his church. He's the head. As long as we're obeying and being faithful to do the right behavior. And so I am thankful for all that God has done in the past. But as we look back at not just our church, but even this first church, may God help us as we step forward into the next 75 years. And I doubt I'll probably be around for the next 75th anniversary, the 150th anniversary. I might be, uh, but, but not in the same body. Maybe as a in a glorified body. I don't know how that's all going to work, but anyway, let's pray. Lord, we do thank you for your love for us. Thank you for this first church that we have studied today. Lord, we didn't have time to go through all of it in, in the detail I really wanted to, but Lord, I pray that these thoughts would just be an encouragement for us to not focus on being a big, large church or having an amazing influence in this community, although we desire that. More than that, Lord, we want to desire to please you. We want to exalt the Savior. We want to be obedient to the pattern, to the behaviors of that first church. Lord, help us to be found faithful. Help us to be glad. Help us to praise you. Help us to be a church of prayer. Help us, Lord, to be a generous church, to give to reaching this community for Christ and the world as well. Help us, Lord, to have a united heart, a united spirit in this church. And Lord, I pray that you would help us to be faithful as we look forward to the future. Our heads are bowed, eyes are closed. Uh, Miss Pat, if you would begin to play. And if, if the Lord has spoken to your heart, we'll just have a, a brief moment here of a time of prayer and, and decision. And then we'll be dismissed in just a moment.